0: You can have the greatest company, you can build the best process-based businesses, you can do all these things, but if your timing's off, it doesn't matter. Welcome
1: to Energy Builders, a podcast about the geologists, engineers, roughnecks, entrepreneurs, and many more that are building in oil and gas. On this episode, our guest is Scott Millerin. Scott is the founder and CEO of RallyPoint Energy Services, a technology leader in mobile EMI scanning and hydrostatic testing for production tubulars. Scott is a repeat entrepreneur, having founded multiple companies. On this episode, Scott and I discuss his experience at West Point and serving in the armed services, the importance of people, teamwork, and playing the role you're assigned, and also how he switched from corporate W2 paycheck to being an entrepreneur and CEO, our conversation was fantastic, and I know you'll enjoy it as well. Here we go. Today's guest on the Energy Builders Podcast is Scott Millerin with Rally Point Energy Services. Scott, thanks so much for being here today.
0: Hi, Adam. Thanks. I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm like we were talking before uh, we hit record. Um, I've been looking forward to having this conversation
0: again, and so. So glad to to finally get to have it. It's interesting. We connected uh, two years ago at NAEP. And so uh, the value of the networking that that conference brings is paying forward, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's start like right off the bat. Rally Point Energy Services. uh, You're the CEO and and founder. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. What do you guys do? What's rally points? We are for existing?
0: A, uh, basically an inspection service. We're a mobile electromagnetic scanning and hydrotesting business, which um, is somewhat of a small ticket item, so it's not doesn't always hit really high on the radar. But I was exposed to the business a couple years ago, and during COVID, had an opportunity to pick up some assets on the discount when things were uncertain and nobody really knew which direction things were going. So, um, I liked the business. Um, I actually had a, a deal to purchase a business and that was March of 20. So the deal fell apart March of 20 (laughs) and, Uh uh, and had to step back and regroup and just decided that a grassroots start would be a good way to go. So, um, but what we like about this space is that it's more of a technician in the field. It's not your average roughneck that you would have on the rigs. And um, it takes some skill. There's computers and technology involved. And what I saw was that a lot of people weren't exploiting the advantages of technology that was available for us. So our long-term goal is to begin to implement um Technological solutions that are simple kind of things, um, you know, like databasing some of our reports for our customers, and being able to provide them um, more of a integrated like historical report of the well. Like here's been your trouble areas, you know, here's where where we've seen problems, and just add another piece of information that makes our service a little more sticky, and um, also helps our customer because. Um, we just feel like, you know, taking a snapshot and handing them a, a graph from the day's report is good, but there's more value there. There's more with the technology. And as we build our customer relationships and, and gather information, we think there's a lot of things we can do from designing equipment. Um, we've We've created an app already that's a dispatching app. And we haven't really gone live with it, but we've got it in the queue for the right customer fit. And we're just trying to do those little things that are available to us today with technology that um, we hadn't taken advantage of in the past.
1: That's very interesting. I want to definitely explore that more um, later in the conversation um, and also the idea of like you said, deals falling apart and this one, you know, materializing, but before we do that, right. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So before we, before we get to that part of the conversation though, let's talk about, um, your background. Um, um, where, where did
0: you grow up? Were you a good student? Uh, you know, what's the, what's the origin story? Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in a small Midwestern town, college town. My dad was a professor. That's what took us there It's normal Illinois. And, um, I was the oldest of three boys and, um, my parents divorced when I was like in the fifth grade. And at that time it was not as common as we see today. So it was a little bit different. Um, but, you know, we managed to progress and advance uh, through our lives there and figuring out childhood through sports. We just always played sports. And um, basketball was my thing. That was my pathway to college. And um, I was a recruited basketball player for West Point. Um, I played there from 81 to 85, um, just right in the post-Coach K era. So, Mm Coach K had just left and, but it was still a great program. And, um, some of my best memories and learnings came from that four year cause we weren't a military family to begin with. So there was a shocker for me there. And then right. division one college sports was also another, you know, step up. So a lot coming at, at me, but, um, through the team. That sounds
1: like a lot of, a lot of discipline, a lot of routine, a lot of, did you have that in your life? I did not. I
0: had to, I had to get on the train pretty quick. You know, it was, uh, it was sink or swim for me. And, uh, you know, really the, the team pulled me through a lot of that. That's where, you know, I had my closest friends and the challenges we could share, you know, the, the challenges we were having and the problems and the things that come with with that lifestyle. And most of us did not have a military background. So that was all a learning curve for us. But I, you know, we just had an alumni gathering at West point as you know, we're going on 35 years since we've been there. And, um, it was a, you know, you just pick up where you left off, no matter what age you are, you know, you, you go see your old buddies and it's right back to the way things were. So it was a great trip. But anyway, that, that, you know, created a pathway for me after college to go in the army. And I served as a artillery officer and, uh, my career culminated with the Gulf war. So that was the last thing we were in Germany. We got deployed, um, kind of late in the, in the war, went over and we're frontline unit, which we didn't expect the coming from Germany. And, um, there are a lot of experiences related to that, that, uh, just weren't what you saw on CNN at the time. It was first live war, I think that people were watching. So, um, I wrapped up my military career with that, which was a great ending because everything turned out pretty well. And, um, and then I, I went through a headhunter and interviewed with a variety of companies and, um actually really liked the sound of a drilling company you know that was a combination of being in the office and in the field and i ended up going to work uh, for a large drilling company here in tulsa and uh, the first thing they do is get you acclimated and then send you out on the rig as a roughneck for a year so i got to roughneck in uh, south texas offshore california and spent a year on the rigs, which was, um, you know, a great time to transition because anytime you go into a new uh, company, new environment, there's a vocabulary there. There's, uh, you know, the culture and, and all the things. And it g- gave you time to have really no responsibility other than doing your job uh, on the rig, but a chance to get to know the, the kind of people you're going to work with and the the lingo and you know, what a V door key is and all those kind of things that, that come up through the course of that. So that, that opened the door to my career in oil and gas. And, um, I stayed there for 13 years and had an opportunity to get, uh, my MBA while I was working in California at Pepperdine. So I did How a do night. you think,
1: uh, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I don't mean to cut and you off, but I'm just in, wondering sure. like you were talking about um, uh, getting out there in Roughneck and how was, how do you think your military um, experience like prepared you? I mean, those are a lot of different situations out there, California, onshore, like a lot of different. So did, do you see any um, crossover there and how those experience experiences I think helped you out? The
0: key elements uh, that were valuable was just knowing how to get along with a variety of people because the army's a melting pot. And, you know, coming from my upbringing, I didn't travel a lot or see a lot. Um, so when uh, when the military uh, came into play, you were moving every so often. I think so far my wife and I have moved maybe 16 times and 33 years of marriage. So, you know, it's like once every two years you're you're pulling up and you're you're moving but that uh, that piece there was was critical, and then I lean on you know a lot of my learnings from playing basketball, like being a role player, knowing the value of the role that you play. Everybody can't be a leading scorer, but it's very important that you go out and execute on the things that you're supposed to deliver. And that's like it is on, on a rig, you know. You have a job, whether it's you know a floorhand. Derek, man whatever you're supposed to do everybody relies on you to execute that job and and execute it safely so you know those were kind of the things but you know the the hard part was you know being a captain and a and a leader of men and then going to work worm's corner for a period of time <laughs> <laughs> that was right. quite a change
1: <laughs> right right were, were you a good
0: student I, I was naturally a good student in high school, but I was lucky because I learned well in class. And then I got to West Point and the world was very different. <laughs> I I had to do a, learn to study outside of the classroom. And um, I will say that I did not catch on to that too quickly. It took me like two years there. And then I finally figured out how to better manage my time and, you know, not be caught catching up, try to get ahead. And, and, um, uh, so I, I ended up doing well, but, uh, the first two years are nothing to brag about. So it's a good <laughs> mix of good and bad.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So I'm wondering, do you have any, do you remember any, um, maybe formational experiences as a kid, um, that looking back, you're like, that was kind of planting a seed of, of entrepreneurship or no, anything um, there?
0: You know, I, I always dreamed of, uh, my dream as a kid was like being a designer and inventor, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the late sixties and seventies and the internet wasn't around and you had to entertain yourself. And I spent a lot of time like tinkering with electric motors and stuff like that, thinking I was going to invent some great thing and I'd be rich and retired by 30 years old. And, um, but you know, it, it, given the situation we were in, um, it was, we started to work young. So I picked up a paper route. It was my first job. I remember it, we had to go open a checking account. It was like my first experience as, as a so-called businessman. And basically the way that worked was they charged me as the paper boy for the papers. And it was up to me to go collect door to door. So if I didn't collect enough money. I couldn't pay for my bills and it, immediately you start learning about margin right away, you know, the, and and also taking care of your, your collections. So um, great lessons from a paper out, but I think that's a dying breed. I don't know if they deliver papers anymore or at yeah, least in a traditional think so. way. It's, uh, all I, d- I don't internet. think so. Yeah, it's all, it's all it on your, your iPad and, and, and phone. I did like, uh, we would pick up Construction jobs, little small jobs um one of my teachers built homes in the summer, so we were we were the gophers and the painters and the the guys that did that stuff and then um I did some concrete work with my dad to actually he was redoing a house, and the sidewalk in front needed to be redone, so I got those jobs, you know, but uh that's great you just you learn a lot that way and um it it definitely creates that environment of that drive of like, I can do this. If, if there's an opportunity, you go out and then you chase it and, um, don't be, a, don't be bashful to try something you don't know. You'll figure it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great to hear. That's something my wife and I try to think about and give our, our, our kids challenges today. Uh, cause like you said, there's, you have to think of new ways to find those, um, get the same experience, maybe not the same, same exact experience, but the same kind of lessons. So love hearing that. Um, So you talked about how you ended up uh, trans uh, after your time serving in the military, which thank you very much. Appreciate your service. um, uh, Transferring from that into um, uh, working on drilling rigs. Um, at what point did you decide, uh, it's time to, it's time to, cut ties with a a corporate job and, and dip your toes into starting your
0: own business? Great question. Um, I, I'd always had a little bit of a desire and never really knew what the calling would be. And, um, when I went to graduate school, I was in Southern California. It was the internet boom. So it was mid nineties. And that's when, you know, domain names were getting, $5 million just to get a name. You know, it wasn't, you didn't just go online to GoDaddy and you pick a domain. It was a very complicated process back then. And there was so much energy and we were just hearing all about the internet, the internet and the, um, we would, we would sit around and and just wring our hands and try to think of how do you take advantage of the internet? How do you get this tool and use it to make money and, and provide something for customers. That's going to be a value because if you remember at the time, I mean, there were a lot of bad startups that got a lot of money and came and went pretty fast. Uh, I, I don't remember the company name, but they had the sock puppets and they were doing something related to pets, you know, but, um, so that was the ongoing interest is like, what do we do? So, um, I was able to use that, and we built a global network in at the company I was with in the corporate world. So I had a degree of challenge within that, and that just really sparked my interest to, you know, put my stamp on something. And um, an opportunity came to start a drilling company within an operator. Uh, they were acquiring a lot of acreage in Arkansas and wanted and rates were high, so they wanted to own their own rigs and It was a perfect segue for me to step away from a corporate job, have an entrepreneurial opportunity, but still have the safety net of a larger corporation. They gave us a lot of freedom, and um we had to go out and build a business, which we did we We fielded fifteen rigs, hired three hundred people in a year. And we're operating in Arkansas and delivering results for our our company. And that was really exciting. That was a fun time. But um, towards the end of that, you know, there were more and more opportunities. Um, J.B. Hunt's a big Arkansas guy. And he was interested in getting into oil and gas. So there was an opportunity to start a drilling company with his backing, which was a great combination, a great opportunity. Um, it never really fully, um, bloomed. Mr. Hunt passed away before we got the rigs built and, uh, you know, it just ended up losing a little wind in its sails. But, um, we, we were able to take that business plan and, um, basically recreate it with different funding. And, um, we went out and we were turnkey in wells in West Texas because no one in West Texas at the time wanted new rigs or would pay for them. So, we had to be creative and find a way that we were going to get the the margins and the revenue we needed uh, competing against you know rigs that were at the lowest end of the rates day rates so we mm-hmm. ended up we did a whole lot of turnkeys and that's a risky way to go. I don't even think people do them nowadays, but no it was yeah, an, no. it was a great opportunity. We we're drilling a couple wells a month um it put us more Connected with our customers because we were coordinating a lot of the aspects of the well. And it was just a great time for that to come up. We were too far ahead. Wait, what time the, is this?
1: What time this is this? This would have been
0: um, like o three to 06, 05, 06. So um, there, the, the industry was was strong, but it was heading into the the effects of the collapse of the housing market in 07, 08. And we had a lot of opportunities teed up and we literally, um, you know, we, we had one deal that was a man, a rig manufacturing company that would have been kind of like an overall equipment type business, like a NOV or a forum. And we were, we were roadshowing that. And we were literally in, um, New York city. Energy was hot. We had all kinds of people interested in backing our deal and when the housing market came and crashed, people that we were talking to never answered their phone again. You know, Lehman Brothers, out of business. And just, we we were just on the receiving end of bad timing and, you know, the overall economic situation in the country. So, you know, you can have the greatest company, you can you can build the best process-based businesses, you can do all these things, but if your timing's off, it doesn't matter. <laughs> timing mm. is everything.
1: Yeah. How much do you think that, how much do you think, um, timing is controllable? Like how much, um, I mean, obviously you've got the choices you're making when you enter some of that. I mean, how much is, how much is fate and how much is luck and how much is grit?
0: Well, I think that's a good mixture of, um, concepts because i would say you can't control timing right if if we could we would already predict the price of oil and gas and we'd be sure about it and we would we would all be making a fortune right but um so you you just you have to look at the past trends make your best guess but what you want to do is create a a healthy business that will work well in both the ups and downs of the market, but. be willing to understand when you're about at a peak, and if you want to execute or do something, that's the time to do it. I always believe that you never build a company to sell it because if you you start to do that, um your company will only be good for the fuse of the time that you've got the energy around around it to do that. I mean, I think you want to build the company for the long term, and if the opportunity comes where there's an opportunity to sell and the price is right and the market timing's right. You want to be able to execute that. So, Mm. um, I think anybody that's just got a short term view on, on a startup is probably not going to like the way it comes out. Mm. But That's good advice. Grit is important. You got to go to work and you gotta, you gotta believe in your product every day. Right? Yeah. Luck is huge. I've seen a lot of guys that have made a lot of money and, um, you know, you kind of wonder how that happened, but <laughs> there's also right. a lot of guys that that have succeeded, and and it's very well deserved. Um, there's been businesses that failed simply on timing. You know, you you go out, and I have a great example in my personal experience. Um, I don't know if you want to hear about it now, or you want me to interject no, that later.
1: No, that's no. Please do. Please share.
0: We uh, so <clears throat> we got into a special service pumping. So non-frack basically pump downs and complementary pumping services, um, and the uh, if if you are familiar with the frac industry, the last five or six years the prices of pumps have varied wildly. I've never seen an asset peak and valley on its on its relative value without changing a thing, as much as high pressure pumps have in the last 5 years. So we started a pumping business and unfortunately it was hard to predict um when things would go up and when they would go down. But this was the second round of kind of run up on pump pricing and we were purchasing pumps at a million dollars each at a time when we thought, you know, things were going to continue to rise. And we found out that that wasn't the case. And those same pumps, you know, went through a cycle where they were worth about $150,000 to $180,000 each. So almost like 15% of their new purchase value. And now the cycle's coming back. And, you know, that same pump is now back up to six or $700,000. So that crazy roller coaster ride, if you caught it at the right time at the bottom and you're picking up pumps at a, you know, sub $200,000, you probably have a really good chance with the lower capital investment that you're going to do better. So, um, pumps are just a great example of where that wild oil field equipment curve takes you, you know, rigs go through it and, and, and it's just over a longer period of time, but high pressure pumps If you look back over five or six years and you just invested at the low and sold at the high, you you would have been very happy with your outcome.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Hey, I want to back up. You were talking about going out um, um, from the large corporate uh, drilling operator and going to a private company and getting a chance to pick up rigs and put together uh, a drilling company. But then you talked the next business after that with J.B. Hunt, you were actually fabricating rigs. What was that like going from, and, and maybe I'm understanding wrong, so correct me if, if I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, there were but two
0: businesses I was involved in. One fabricated rigs, and uh, the oil and gas drilling business that Mr. Hunt backed was actually a drilling company. So there were two companies kind of operating in parallel there.
1: Okay, so I want to talk about the difference in buying a rig or acquiring rigs and constructing rigs from the ground up. I mean that's, that's very, there's a lot of different things going on there, moving parts. So, and then you mentioned also having a later business, you know, working with the pumps. I mean, this is all oil field services, right? All equipment out in the oil patch, but very different pieces of equipment. So how how did you, how did you shift from those different uh, endeavors?
0: Yeah, it's real. I wish I could say I had some master plan, but it was really opportunistic at the time. And, I've got the rare exposure that I've been on uh, almost every silo of services and, and even on the EMP side. So I've, I've done drilling, I've done production related businesses and completion related businesses, and they all offer a different perspective. And what's interesting for even within our industry is how unique each one of those um, services are to themselves. Um you know there's guys that spend a whole career in production that never know what what who the guys are in completions same with services i mean they get there's guys that spend a career um catering to completion companies you know and or the completions departments and i've had a rare opportunity to kind of be in all all phases of of the business which has really been enlightening um but it also Did you mean is, to do that? It, it wasn't intentional, <laughs> but it just kind of happened. But right. um I uh I really have enjoyed every aspect of it and and really kind of tying together, you know, just how unique our business is from the outside everybody thinks, "Oh, oil and gas y'all do the same thing." There are so many different segments of our industry and and unfortunately a lot of times it never crosses over. You know, you can spend a whole career and you only work with a certain set of people. So, it's been nice to, you know, have different vendors, different people to talk to, but related to building rigs versus operating the rigs, it's night and day. First of all, building rigs, it they only happen in rare moments in in our business history, right? There's times when the cycle and the age of equipment does ask for new assets. And, you know, there was a, a build cycle in the mid 2000s. And then there was another one here, you know, a few years ago when everybody went to the high tech rigs, the, uh, there was a demand for the AC driven rigs and, and that sort of thing. So those, those periods of time drove, um, manufacturing, but those things go to zero in between. So that, that was kind of a, drilling is a harsh reality, kind of like, um when those businesses you know decline or or the demand falls they can go to zero you'll see rig stack pump stack and as a, a business owner um, that's an incredibly tough time to manage through because it's always fun to hire people grow build your business but the worst days are the days you wake up and you have to decide that it's time to lay off or cut back and just get as skinny as you can to survive a downturn. And nobody likes doing that. You don't like being the guy that that happens to, and you don't like being the guy that has to do it. So that is really, I think, the worst part of what we do in our business is the extreme peaks and valleys that we have to manage through. And you'd think over time we'd find a way to manage that, but uh, we never can seem to get, the prices to be that cooperative, right? So Right. Um, right.
1: Well, you, don't you know the oil and gas companies? We all we set the prices. Didn't you know that, Scott? If you're paying attention to <laughs> Yeah, I forgot. The news. Yeah.
0: And you, you decide when you want to make billions of dollars and <laughs> when you don't, mm-hmm. right?
1: When you want to lose it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I want to ask you, you you
1: kind of alluded to that. i I want to ask you, you, you've started a lot of businesses. You've um founded and run and operate a lot of businesses. Can you talk about, um, you alluded to that, the, the down cycle. Um, can you talk about some of the, um, wins, um, the great experiences of running your own business? And then maybe some of the, those, those down, those Valley moments where it yeah, doesn't well, feel so good to run yeah, your own I, business.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can speak to those. Um, in, in fact, there's a lot of you know, there's personal pride and success that you have. And then there's what the public perceives as pride, you know, success too. So on two levels there, I mean, I can say that with all of the businesses we've created, there's been a passion. There's been a great group of people. There's been young people that come in that have opportunities they wouldn't have if they stayed in a traditional job. And, And that's the good part about what we do. We create opportunities for people to really excel and step out and have opportunities. Um, the, probably the biggest success publicly has been, um, you know, Ranger Energy Services. We started that with private equity and, um, we had an agreement with, uh, an Eagleford operator to do a number of rigs, which, um, challenged us somewhat because that number changed and our planning had to modify. (laughs) But, um, it, it they did become and and still are to this day for the company a long term uh customer and and were key in in creating the business but um we built a uh, ranger initially up to seventeen rigs and then if you remember the public markets in the uh seventeen time frame. All of a sudden had a window of being very favorable to oilfield services, and we we don't always get that that great opportunity. So there was a window to take the company public, but we had to scale, and we had to scale quick and um, so the uh, private equity drove a, a merger of three companies to get to the scale we needed to have to do our IPO. And we we went to the um, market really aggressively because uh, the window was short. And I will say that it, it did disrupt the the spirit, the culture of the company, to have to pivot and kind of accept this new path that we weren't really planning for. Um, but we were able to take Ranger Public. I think it was a a unique opportunity. For everybody to go to Wall Street, ring the bell, and and see what life is like on, on the the backside of the stock exchange is a pretty great experience. So publicly, that that looks like a pretty big success. And I think Rangers the largest wealth servicing company now in the country with their acquisition of of Basic. So it's I left a while ago. I'm not trying to take credit for what they've achieved, but it's been great to see what they've done, um, with the assets they had. And, you know, there were struggles for a couple of years, um, after merging all these, these, uh, companies together and, and they, they came out of that and the path forward looks really good for them. So, um, that I think I would probably put my thumbprint on and say that was a a win, a good one. Um, I would say that um the pump company I referred to earlier was was probably our our my personal disappointment it wasn't a huge loss cuz we never really got the scale we needed you know we were we were at a, a time when assets were very expensive and and capital costs do matter so um we just timed it wrong and um we we had to get to a point where we had to exit the business now The silver lining on that is the COO of that business is now the CEO of another pump company that's doing really well. So he managed to include those assets in his business plan going forward. And that's Voodoo Energy Services. They're primarily a Haynesville pumping service. But um, it's been great to watch them um, kind of go from a raw startup and really negotiate their way through, you know, those initial stages, renting pumps instead of buying them and doing some really creative things. And um, they're off and and doing very well. So that's been kind of a, you know, when bad things happen, good things can come out of it uh, scenario. So um, it's good to see that those pumps are alive and well and still working uh, with someone that was related to purchasing them.
1: What's the difference in being in an active role, like CEO, operating the business versus advising a business like Voodoo. What's what's that like?
0: A lot less sleepless nights, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, for me, it's it's uh, I I get the best of both worlds, right? I got a chance to continue to manage and be involved in the day to day with RallyPoint and then be an advisor and help people um, and I think um, the difference is, you know, as a small company, as a startup, you lo- there's days you're worried about payroll and, and you think about all those things in the early days. Whereas an advisor, it's maybe an hour phone call and you talk through some issues and then you don't have to worry about that. So <laughs> right, right. But um, it's um it's in- incredibly rewarding, though, to be able to to help and guide and steer and be involved with, you know, the experiences you've had. I think sometimes people undervalue what they've really done because you've done it for so long that you kind of forget uh, what that unique skill or that that experience really matters. And um, it, as an advisor, you get to reach into those and and draw on some of that stuff that you probably take for granted.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's that's a really good insight. I think you're right. I think a lot of times you take it for granted that you have those experiences and that knowledge and wisdom to add in there. I think everybody,
0: everybody gets that way. It's the, you know, always done what you always do. And you just forget how, how hard that was to learn when you first started out.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about, you mentioned earlier in the conversation, uh, that rally point, um, wasn't on the radar initially. You had another business deal you were working on in March of 2020, and of course, that's everyone remembers the the pain of that, uh, the beginnings of COVID, uh, oil trading negatively, um, operators scram, everyone scrambling, uh, just trying to survive. You had a deal fall apart, and then you had this new opportunity come up. So, what was it like pivoting, and and what did you see there? Uh, that allowed you to start rally point.
0: Yeah. Uh that's a great question and we probably don't talk about the effects of of the COVID experience uh enough because businesses really were challenged and and really didn't know like how to manage their way forward. Was this going to really be a 2-week deal or was it going to be longer? And you know, you're constantly getting information you couldn't really rely on. So, we had literally Raised the money, finished um, the diligence, and were in a wait period to close and um mid March was when everybody just said, We're done, you know, send everybody home we're not we're, we're not operating anymore and the investors went home too, you know they didn't want to want to put their money at risk, and very understandable, so it created you know, you're, you're thinking, this is what I'm going to do now. This is where my mindset is. And you're, you're thinking along that path. And, and then literally in a week, your, your entire plan is gone, done. And, um, so it created some challenging months, you know, it was like, what are you going to do now? No one was working, you know, and months, you know, came, kept adding up and, and the industry hit minus 37, you're like, well, what's the sustainability or what's the need in the industry? Where do you go? And, um, you know, through the layoffs, uh, some of the guys that I knew were without a job and they were good guys. And I was thinking that, um, you know, when you look at people are obviously the key and then getting some good assets with that, that is the winning recipe. You know good people with good equipment and you will you will always have the opportunity to succeed so um we just started to think about what that looked like, and I pulled a couple of guys in that were laid off and they were willing to go down this path and we found some assets that were being sold off <clears throat> and um we decided that we would bootstrap a startup in in the middle of all this, and you know as much as we tried to model it and get the timing right and do all the things right. Um, it was a slow ramp. In fact, we're, we're just finally seeing the, the really the upside we thought we would get to, um, about a year ago. So, um, you know, you, you the best laid plans are, are not executable all the time, you know, and, and, uh, you, you can always, uh, forecasting and all that stuff but reality is what you have to deal with so that's what's been fun about being an entrepreneur and that's you know having to take the challenges that come up day to day and adjust and continue forward and figure out a way ahead and um you know most of the business i had started were backed financially through um investors and this one is a bootstrap so it, it even takes on a a whole nother level of, of interest at this point. But, you know, dark days turn into bright days and life goes on.
1: So you mentioned, um, rally point being, um, bootstrapped versus raising capital with your other businesses. How does that change the dynamic of running your business and operating it?
0: Yeah. I always feel like, uh, the, the, confidence of having full control um, is nice, but I don't think it really changes too much of what you do. You still want to create and run a good business and, you know, day to day when you're engaged, you know, we're not doing as much reporting and sending off that kind of thing, but it's all about gaining and acquiring customers that will be long-term customers. And, you know, we try to offer the thing we did differently here though that I will say is I've always been in premium type companies where we were you know the new equipment and we were priced on the higher end which is tough as a startup because it's very hard when you have four rigs to prove that you're the best right so um what's been different here is we're able to and and you know, we can thank COVID for some of this stuff, but we've gone super lean. You know, we don't have any overhead that's not necessary. We outsource accounting and safety and some of those type of activities until we actually need that on board. And we've just been, our G&A is super lean. And I try to do a lot more of, you know, just the grunt work of back office. And my guys are trustworthy and independent and um, they operate largely from their homes they don't have a yard to work out of or anything like that so we've been super skinny on gna and i think that pays off i'm not saying we we wasted money before but you do need to have a presence you do when you're when you've got a large growth plan and you've got 25 million dollars that you got to deploy to to build a company there's certain things you have to do and we've been able to take it at our own pace And, um, and do it in a way that is, um, very lean.
1: No, I love hearing that. Um, it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier that you're, you're setting out to build a good business, right? Either way. And so building that business, you apply the same principles. What do you think success looks like for you, um, personally and professionally?
0: Well, I can say that, uh, I, I love this business and I don't have any hobbies, bad, bad habits to speak of. So I'm not a avid golfer or hunter, uh, certainly enjoy time off. But, um, you know, I think my hobby is also my living, you know, it's, it's creating and advising and being involved in businesses. We have some separate investments. We do some home renovations. We, Actually, my wife and daughter are big horse people. So we've invested in a horse that we're bringing in from Europe and just kind of doing some creative things that, you know, keep it fresh. And every day there's some different challenges that pop up. And I think that for me is, is really success is to be a, be, be able to continue to be involved in these things and, and pursue opportunities that are interesting to me and my family and, um, and then help the guys that I've worked with along the way because uh, you know I value all those relationships and and I think that those are long term and you know we uh, we lean on each other for for help and it's it's just been you know the oil field has afforded me all of that so I, I do feel like I've, I've achieved a lot of success but at the same time you know that um, I think that as you get older your matrix changes a little bit it's not so much about money as much as it is about you know staying engaged with the things that are important to you and um you know it, it all seems to be in more of a balance you know i when i was younger i wanted to hit it hit a lick and be retired and you know be like one of these tech guys that have you know multi-million dollars at 30 and i don't have to do anything the rest of my life and I've had some breaks, and I found out I don't really like that you know, it's not I, I like to be engaged it's good good for everybody I think to have something you wake up for every day. talked to a lot of retired guys who was like, yeah, there's only so much golf you can play, you know i I want to do something else so um those are all the kind of things that I think um I don't know if I directly answered your question, but those are the kind of things that um I think or what success is really all about
1: what does success for rally point look like to you is this is this a generational company that you pass down to your kids is this something that you sell is this something what what does that look
0: like yeah that's a that's a good question what i'd really like to see with rally point is just a good margin producing business that creates cash flow and the way i set it up which is something unique to the way this business was built is um i always i i want the key guys to to see the success of the company like when the company does well i want them to do well too and um i w- also want them to be engaged in the business so you know there's incentives in place and bonuses in place when we reach a certain level of activity Um, the trucks catch a certain number of jobs a month. Once they reach kind of their payback point, then at that point going forward, they start to get the benefits of the upside. And that's, that's how I think it should be for anybody. So everybody that works here has an incentive, a motivation to engage in a successful business. You know, I've seen guys that want to sit back and not go for call outs because they're the more senior guys and they're still getting paid. You know, they're on the clock. But this way, when their activity and their utilization drives the income they get to take home, um, there's an incentive for them to help the business too. So I've always wanted to have that arrangement where, you know, you can share more actively and directly with the guys. And that's what we're trying to do here at Rally Point. And so success for us would be, you know, having the long-term sustainability and then, you know, at some point in time, Someone else will run it. I don't know if it'll be a family member or, or someone that currently is in the company that's helped start it, but I think the the long term view for me is just having a a business that we see opportunities to grow um we We create a steady income for everybody involved, and everybody wins when the company wins
1: did did aligning incentives and and um is that something that came natural to you? Um, as a leader, as a CEO, as a businessman, or is that something you had to learn?
0: You know, through, uh, a lot of the MBA education and then the conversations and just the articles you read about business, um, I think it's been trickled in there, but you know, it's normally what I always thought was missing was the direct incentive. You know, a, a lot of times bonuses are given at the end of the year because the company had a good year. But you're sitting there and you're like, well, what did I do exactly that was better than what I did the year before to earn this? And the way we've tried to structure things or or I've tried to structure things with Rally Point, is there's no doubt <laughs> well, what that incentive comes from. It comes from, you know, the activity of the company and being good to your customers and getting called back out. And those kind of things are relevant. And I I think it all ties back to my sports experiences. You know, you want to, when you do something and you execute a play correctly, you want to be able to look up the scoreboard and see that you got your two points or your three points. And, um, you know, I think that if you can translate that into the business, that it becomes so much more relevant for the people that work there that everybody gets engaged. Everybody wants to try to win.
1: Yeah. Love that. That's great advice. Okay. So Scott, I know we've been chatting for a while. This has been really great. I think we could keep talking business. We probably um, could.
0: Yeah. You got to wrap it up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And which we always end with our, these kind of three final questions, kind of more um, general and off, off the topic of oil and gas, but a little bit more personal also. So people get to know you, get a better feel for Scott Miller. And sure. What's your favorite drink?
0: I like uh, mostly vodka-based drinks. So, uh, the the one I've been drinking lately is just a Greyhound grapefruit juice and and good dripping springs or something like that. Nice. Um, Are you a reader? Do you have a favorite book? I don't have a favorite book, but I just recently referred like uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" to my nephew, and it's an older book, but I think it's one of the core entrepreneurial. Books And when I first read it, I was like, I'm not sure what, what this is for, but when it comes to, um, kind of getting yourself to think differently, um, you're raised a certain way, your experiences create a certain mindset. Um, that's the book that came to mind to refer to him, to get him to start thinking a little differently about, uh, you know, what he can do and, and how things go. So I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's just the one that came up most recently. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm currently reading, making my way through Alex Epstein's book. Um, so the industry books are obviously very intriguing for me. And, you know, especially lately we, the energy industry has been, I feel like under attack and, um, there's a lot of good things going on that we don't get credit for and, the search for improving our image, I think, is, needs to never stop. We need to get out there and we need to educate people on what we do um, because this is not going away. Um, just because, you know, we're trying to do more electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, electricity is fossil fuels. I'm sorry. there's There's no disconnect there. So it's kind of humorous that they think that's the answer when it just further fuels what we need to be working on for ourselves. So, you know, energy independence is important. Uh, You know, we need to strive to get back there. We need to get rid of this negativity towards the industry. And you don't have to like what we do, but you need to understand the criticality of of how it's embedded in everybody's life. And it's not just filling up, you know, when I'm going to be on a soapbox here for a second. But, you know, I was was thinking the other day, um, Just how lucky we are that any gas station we pull into, we know that when we pull the pump off, no matter what price we're paying, there's gas there. You have inventory available to you. You're not waiting in line or you don't have to park your car because there's a lack of the supply system. And when you begin to think about that in the course of the entire size of our country and the remote areas, Something as simple as having that available to us as citizens all the time. Oh, and it doesn't matter if you're pulling from the grid to charge your vehicle. Electricity's always there, mostly there. <laughs> um, and we're we take that for granted. And I think that um, if we start with those basic elements and realize just how how it's just interlaced in our infrastructure we just expect things to be there and it's a fair price you know a a gallon of starbucks lattes is far more expensive than a gallon of gas so even at three dollars or whatever the the latest rate is it's still a good deal so
1: absolutely absolutely it is no that's that's good wisdom there last question um to wrap up what is the best advice you've ever received
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And you would think it would come from a coach, but it actually came from one of my, um, my, uh, graduate professors and he was a marketing professor and his guidance to me was do what you love and the money will follow. And, um, you know, I think it, if you step back and you start to think about that, you obviously can't go out and play disc golf every day and think you're going to You're going to make the money, but there's a niche or there's a way that you can put to work the things that you love to do that make you get up every day and, um, and find a way to, to get paid to do that. And I think with the evolution of technology and social media, there's so many different opportunities and avenues to do that kind of thing. But for me, that was, that's advice that I've lived with. And I think it's great. It doesn't easily translate to anything but it's it's something to always think about
1: I love that follow your passion follow your interests the money will follow exactly yeah well thanks very much Scott Miller with Rally Point Energy Services for being a guest today really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to yeah. more.
0: Thanks so much Adam yeah I look forward to continuing the re- relationship and uh, really enjoyed my time thank you Thanks
1: Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please do us a big favor and leave a review in whatever podcast app you listen to or share with someone you think might enjoy this content. Thanks a lot for listening to Energy Builders.